Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor. Today, we're talking about all things green and sustainability. In the shadow of COP26, could anything be more timely? And we know that the world of financial services has a massive role to play. But how can financial services impact the world of sustainability? How can we really make a difference? Before we dive into this very important question, we wanted to tell you about some of the things we're working on here at 11FS and a quick word from our sponsors. Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost-income ratios which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. How does financial services get better? How does it get faster? And how does it get stronger? Come and help us answer those questions live in London on December 1st at the Fintech Insider After Dark, Better, Faster, Stronger. It's the latest live recording of our Fintech Insider podcast. That's right, we're back in front of a live studio audience. Stick around after the show for drinks, exclusive swag, and a chance to mingle with your favorite Fintech Insider hosts, as well as other Fintech fans. Find out more and get your free ticket now at bit.ly forward slash after dark, better, faster, stronger. That's bit.ly forward slash after dark, better, faster, stronger. Alrighty, thank you, sponsors. As always, I am not alone. I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who are working in the space to help the industry do more and go greener. First up, making a welcome return to Fintech Insider, we have Scott Abrahams, who's SVP of Business Development of Fintech at MasterCard. Welcome back to the show, Scott. How are you doing? I'm very good, Simon. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Real pleasure to have you back. Uh, and making a Fintech Insider debut, we have Lee Brown, who is Operations Manager at Helpful. Welcome to the show. Uh, Lee, do you want to give everybody an elevator pitch on Helpful? Yeah, sure. Thanks for the intro there, Simon. Um, so Helpful's an open banking engine. Um, we create smart payments for the demands of sustainable living. That's, that's why we're here. Um, it was founded in 2020 by Evan Michaels, William Nord. And the idea originally was to create, uh, I suppose, a purpose-driven business that delivered not only on value, but on its values as well. And uh, the idea is to make a fundamental change in the world of fintech. Um, what does that really mean? So, so June this year, we launched our, um, our consumer-facing helpful app and helpful debit MasterCard uh, live now for, for, for people to out there and use. We uh, Built behind that, we have a directory of over 240 sustainable retailers, and we incentivize our um, our, our consumers to, to shop at those sustainable retailers and give them rewards if they use the debit MasterCard. And um, <clears throat> probably a little bit more um, exciting, so this is maybe the first kind of uh, public outing of this information, but we're actually working closely with MasterCard on a project in Scotland um, to implement a micropayment solution to support the Scottish Deposit Return Scheme. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the, the details of that uh, later on, and I'll, I'll uh, stop taking up all the airtime. We do love an exclusive, though, so thank you so much, Lee. And making a Fintech Insider debut, we have Will Smith, who's co-founder at Tread. Uh, Will, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what Tread does? Yeah, sure. Great to, great to be on the podcast. 
So trend is trying to make money work for both people and the planet. So if you imagine people either spend or save at quite a high level, we're launching and starting with spending. So it's a consumer facing debit card and we do two things with that. So the first is that every time you spend using the card, we help plant trees with that. And the second thing is that everything has some kind of environmental cost, whether it is, you know, your groceries, it's flights on holiday, it's your morning coffee or commute. We've got the tech to tell you what that impact is. So, you know, you hear about COP and everyone hitting net zero. It's really difficult to know where to start and what net zero is if you don't know what your emissions are. And so that's a huge step forward. And uh, yeah, we're launching relatively soon. I would love that as an API inside of every banking app ever. Please make it happen, guys. I think we need this. That would be amazing. All right, let's start just by looking at where we are now. As you mentioned uh, just a second ago, Will, COP26 just happened. Uh, Climate change is hopefully at the top of many people's agendas, um, from individuals to businesses. And certainly it's been a generational movement. Uh, It certainly seems uh, the more of the future life you have left on this planet, the more you care about this planet continuing to exist. Go figure. Um, There's been a 68% decline in animal populations in the last 46 years. 80 billion pounds of food is thrown away each year in the US. That's pounds in weight, not uh, sterling. 92% of the time, cars sit unused. And we've had countless regulations and rules to uh, require companies to report the percentage of turnover, investments, and operating costs coming from activities deemed to be sustainable. So we're trying to create transparency through the laws. In addition, the UK government's planning to be carbon neutral by 2050, uh, and many countries recently signed up to carbon neutrality as well. Um, But we've seen, of course, Prince William urging the banks to go and invest green to protect the environment. HSBC have announced they're going to stop financing coal projects in the EU by 2030 and other markets by 2040. But of course, we saw Extinction Rebellion targeting Barclays headquarters in London this week over its financing of fossil fuel companies. Of course, we know one third of all global carbon emissions comes from just 20 companies with BP, Shell, Saudi Amco, Chevron and Gazprom all featuring heavily So there's a pressing need to go green. There's certainly some bad, naughty list companies on there. But why are people looking to financial services here to help? And how can it actually have an impact? Scott, can I I start with you on this? I think there's a number of things. I was lucky enough to to be present at COP last week. I actually spoke on a a panel there. and, And what struck me was just the urgency, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, from people that that were there and and obviously we saw the outcome as as something that you know perhaps could be better but could be worse etc etc and certainly you know i was present in a couple of uh those sessions where there were people working for big financial institutions where they were really called out on some of those investments i i won't go into the details on that now but i think you know my view and our view at MasterCard and why this, I mean, I think there's a number of things, right? First of all, we as a company have to commit and we've done that. We've committed to, to, to net zero. We brought that forward by 10 years, actually, just before COP. So that's at 2040 now. And we're committed to, to science based targets as well. So we've got to walk the walk, first of all. But what we hear directly from consumers and more importantly, or at least as importantly, our customers who have consumers, such as the, the two great businesses who are joining me here today, is that there's incredible demand for people to try and do the right thing. And I think it's financial services and particularly 
payments role to be able to inform those people their impact number one and potentially some of the things that they could do about it number two because there's very few areas of our lives that are so embedded in our lives as financial services and particularly when you then go to financial services payments most of the financial transactions we do are payment related but virtually all of them are payment related and so there's a huge you know we are very much in the center of people's lives and i think that's why there's such a demand from our consumers and such excitement from mastercard to work in with great businesses such as tread and helpful who can really um you know can really partner with us to help consumers understand their impact and understand what they can do about it yeah i think there's there's a couple of things on that as well because individuals where they put their money it it has such an impact on the environment you know whether you fly somewhere or buy groceries that in itself like is the bedrock so whether you're shopping at a 100 percent renewables energy provider or you know a carbon neutral phone provider it's it's where people invest their money and therefore the financial services can can aid them on that journey the other side of that is also like from an investment point of view like the financial services industry they have the backing to either heavily invest in new technologies, new approaches to help reduce the impact that we're having, but also they also have the impact to do the opposite of that. You know, we, there's been a number of announcements around taking money out of fossil fuels and investment in there and transferring them into newer renewable technologies. And, and I think the combination of the consumer side of that, where they're buying, where they're um, purchasing things from, and the investment side of things, I think it's a, a real step in the right direction. Well, I love that point because actually uh, payments touches both. Uh, if you want to fund an oil field, you somebody needs to get paid or invest in that. And if you want to buy uh, it's just a, a non-recyclable or a recyclable version of something, you have to pay for it. In fact, look around the room. Everything around you, everything you can touch, everything you can see, you had to somebody had to pay for that. And whether that was sourced sustainably or not really comes down to did the people know it could be um, sourced sustainably? Did they have the information and the data? So uh, the financial transactions and rails are so intrinsically linked to everything we do. If we're going to change behavior, starting at uh, everything we do day to day is is an interesting part. Uh, Lee, uh, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, I was going to just add on to that. So one thing that struck me um Look, I'm a bit of a geek, so so looking into sort of the transactions that our users have been making, it's it's a deeply personal kind of experience. You can really tell what that person is doing at that point in time, um, and you can really look at you can see those spending habits that they are, you know, exactly what they're what they're spending money on. And the upshot of that is that you can then you can then produce um, so the, the data that comes off the back of that, you can produce. Um, targeted kind of, uh, I don't know, marketing, if you like, to to change what people are actually selling from non-sustainable, bad for the environment, and and, and make that change into selling more things that are sustainable because the data is backing it up. And and Lee, sorry, if I can just double down on that. Are you definitely seeing that behavior shift in those user bases and and kind of uh, how does that change over time from somebody who's just picked up um, the platform to been using it for, uh, for six months? Yeah, it's really interesting. So you get a mixed bag, I suppose. There are people on there who um genuinely sustainable. Like all their purchases are pretty much sustainable. They are like the gold-plated end user, if you like. And then you have the people who make one or two sustainable purchases. And then depending on the the incentives that you're providing these end users, you can see their sustainable shopping increase. And you can definitely see that. And we've definitely seen that on our platform where 
people are, you know, because education is a piece of it as well. Once they're understanding that these these brands and retailers, the, the different products and services they're offering, um, and you incentivize them, they're going to they're going to carry on. They're going to be repeat purchases, and they're going to make more of them. All right, Will, you wanted to jump in. Sorry. Yeah, no. There's the. It's really interesting. You touched on education there. So we were at COP last week. Um, to kind of bring this whole thing to life, we played a, a really simple game with everyone. It was, there are eight items on this table. What is the carbon footprint of it? So there was a plastic bag, a cup of coffee, jeans, a newspaper, a, a return flight from London to Glasgow, and um, a night in a hotel. And the, the game was simple. It was, what is the carbon footprint? We're at COP. Everyone is invested in sustainability and everyone was was there um, working for or sort of pushing heavily the sustainability agenda. The guesses were so far different. So the answer was 540 kilograms. And we had everything from 80 kilos through to 11 tons, so 11,000 kilos. And and that just it blew my mind. And I was like, the education piece, I think, is such an important one, which is people have no, no clue. And it's like, you know, we kind of need to help um, and financial services does play a huge part in that. I, I love that idea of of thinking in tons or thinking in um, budgeting. Uh, this is going to be a nerdy tangent, but uh, I, I certainly tried to, uh, in the pandemic, I don't know if anybody else had this, I started to spread a little bit around the middle at first because I was a little bit less active. Um, and my lovely wife called me out on it um, and she suggested an app that tracks my food. Um, and I used that and then I started thinking in a calorie budget every day and how did I want to spend my calorie budget? And suddenly you start to think about it in the same as money, you're budgeting it. Um, and, and if we can have the this value that we've got a budget that we're trying to manage better, uh, then that helps us make improvements over time and and reach a sustainable sort of uh, level of living where we're, we've got a mixed diet that is offsetting, that is sustainable, that is uh, that is healthy for the planet. Um, so I, I love that way of thinking about like the education, but also that feedback loop we need to build. And, and Scott, I guess you're sort of seeing many examples of this and people attacking it from from different places. What what are your perspectives on the conversation so far? Well, I think what's interesting is, and, and certainly for the likes of the businesses, you know, that have joined us here today, you know, they're really set, you know, they're setting the future direction here. You know, MasterCard is a very broad shop, right? We're a network of thousands of, of financial institutions, millions of places to use our products, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what was quite striking to me, though, is, is one of my other roles is our, I lead our Priceless Planet Coalition across Europe, which is a coalition focused on planting 100 million trees over the next five years. And um, what what really astounded me is we, we launched that just before the pandemic became the terrible thing that it, it, it became. And it was so interesting to me how quickly, though, people sort of reverted back to wanting to talk about this coalition we were launching, you know, and applying our network skills to these types of things. And, 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 and Tread and Helpful have been, you know, really instrumental in that. What is really interesting, though, is is how how quickly the incumbent players are now joining us on that journey as well. And I think that's something because, you know, businesses such as Trent Helpful are bringing lots of consumers, but everybody is expecting more now from the, the businesses that they interact with. We saw that in fintech with the, you know, the, the, the neobanks and how much more, you know, businesses and people expected from their banking apps, et cetera, and others play catch up. This is now happening very clearly in, in the sustainability agenda. Um, and that's why we as MasterCard are so keen to be partners 
of, you know, the very newest, youngest businesses and the very oldest and most established businesses, because actually a lot of the time they're trying to solve the similar problems. It's just there are different stages of their development around that. So that I think is the biggest trend. What was really interesting when, when I heard at COP was just how much more those incumbent players are now playing a big part and how much pressure they're being put under actually in a way that perhaps they weren't before. I think on that basis, Scott, you know, we've got some stats here about BlackRock raising $673 million for a climate-focused infrastructure fund. Um, of course, we know uh, Kogo, one of the smaller companies uh, out of New Zealand and here in the UK as well, kicked off a $20 million Series A. In the US, Aspiration Bank, we've seen TreeCard, we've seen um, uh, Tomorrow Bank out of Germany. You know, there's been, these guys have been around for some time, but it feels like the momentum is certainly building. And here in the UK, we covered last week, Standard Chartered has teaming up with Starling to launch an investing platform for green projects. So, you know, there's been a, been a lot of that momentum starting to go. But I want to change gears a little bit here. And we've talked about a lot of the good things that we're seeing, but there's still a lot of challenges in the way. Um, and I'd, I'd love to get your views, um, guys, around the, the, the call on sort of what are the biggest barriers? We talked, I think, Will, you talked about education being one. Um, what are they, are there other challenges, policy, regulation? What are the areas that you think are, are kind of uh, the biggest challenges to, to making meaningful difference? Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the biggest challenges is, is uptake and making sure that, you know, we provide the best service possible. You know, we have, we haven't been established very long and, you know, we're growing very, very quickly and learning a lot. But people come to expect, you know, a similar service to the likes of, you know, your Monzo's, Revolut's, um, Barclays, etc. that have been going for, you know, some of them hundreds of years. And so to make sure that we catch up and make sure that we provide the best service for them is like kind of the, fir- the first stage in that one. The other one is that, from a regulatory perspective, I think, you know, we use open banking and there's some amazing things that are coming out of open finance to make sure that people get a full view of their carbon footprints of, of their financial life. And so like that is in its infancy. And I was at a talk the other day where some, you know, 50% of people don't quite know what open banking is, where you can connect or pull in existing cards to, to sort of a central hub. Um, it's something that we utilize to make sure that, you know, people spend on different cards or different, um, platforms for different reasons. And so I think like things like that, that haven't, you know, um, reached the mainstream yet, I think that will really unlock a lot of this value for us. I, I love that point um, about sort of moving from open banking. It's great to see what I'm spending day to day. But what about my pensions and how my money's invested? Like, actually, I saw a great stat from the Investment Association that said 63% of all capital in financial markets ultimately uh, rolls back to a consumer, even though it's managed by an institution. So if we were to have insight about where our capital is invested, could we change where it flows and what it flows into, these institutions are often making decisions on our behalf, but they're not making them on our uh, best wishes or best intent for, for, for the outcomes we want to see with the world. And how do we make that happen? Will, you want us to jump back, back in there? Yeah, no, I, I think it's such a good point. And, and at the moment, we're talking about, or sort of we are at Tread, is, is the, like the daily spending side. But, you know, pensions have a huge contribution to someone's impact. The investments that they make have a huge impact. And so, as we go from open banking more towards like a, an open finance system where you can kind of consolidate absolutely everything, that I think where it becomes really powerful if you could see the impact your pension has and investments and your spending. And that just basically is like the sort of the holy grail of this space. Lee, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I think just to add on that, I think it, it, it comes down to me around transparency. There's just such a demand for transparency now and, and, and knowing exactly where 
that money is invested in. And there's the demand as well from everyday consumer. You know, consumers are becoming more and more savvy. They want to know where their investments are going. They want to know where their money or what it's being invested in. Uh, they, they, they demand it so that they, they understand exactly where their money's going. So on that basis, how much is uh, that demand really, really real? Um, because uh, the the big question about, I think, all the neobanks, challenger banks uh, at the moment in the UK press, certainly, is how are they going to make profitability and are they just going to end up like another bank? Um, we saw them hit millions of users, um, but then you know, is their model to make money from lending? We've certainly seen Starling go that way and become quite effective at it, or we've seen Revolut stay away from being a bank and go into to feature bloat. And uh, Will, I think you made a point that was like, so you've got to catch up with them, um, but is somebody really going to use this day in and day out? And if so, how are you going to be build a sustainable business out of it? Scott, you, you had a point there that everybody has to move in this direction. Do, do you think that they are, or do you think they're paying lip service to it, hand on heart? They are. I think, and, and it, it links back slightly, Simon, to what we were talking about when you asked regarding barriers. When I was on the panel at COP26, there was an incredible young man who was um, uh, a, a real climate activist, you know, and, and one of those people who, you know, net zero isn't enough, right? It's got to be zero, zero, which I understand I, I respect that the, the only thing that i pushed back a little on him was that we have to a, a number of our customers and a number of people within these businesses who are desperate to do the right thing are also desperate to be accused of greenwashing of 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 you know tokenism to some extent and i do think that is also i i'm concerned that that's partly a barrier because it's easier to do nothing and not get shot down than it is to do a lot of good things and be caught out. And I think that's a real concern. I mean, we work, and I, I hope my, um, uh, my colleagues on the call here will, will, will attest, we as MasterCard work so hard to make sure that the things we're doing are scientifically led, um, you know, led in fact, de designed to be the best we can possibly do for the planet. Um, and obviously, I pass that message on to all of our partners, yet there's so it's my concern sometimes is that it's easier to do nothing because it's safer. And that I think is a concern. So hand on heart, businesses are trying to do the right thing in, in this sector. As we said, I think there's much more to financial services than payments. And certainly pension funds in particular was a real area of debate last week at, at COP. I believe everybody is trying to do the right thing. I, I am concerned sometimes though, that, that um, perfect is getting in, in the way of, really good personally mm. lee what are your thoughts yeah so when scott mentioned greenwashing there uh, it, it reminded me of a, uh, of, a, of a a challenge we face around regulations and it's around it's around the, uh, the the data that's provided from individual retailers or brands that we work with and and not having regulated data that goes into a sustainable index so we know that you know we have it at category level we have it at brand level but individual product level, that's for me, that's that's missing. We don't know what's going into, uh, we don't know the, the the full footprint and the impacts that are going into individual products. And until we have that, we can we then we can't uh, explain to the end user the product, the, the, the impact of an individual product, and then possibly recommend alternate products, which can then you know send them on their more climate positive journey, and they then have a positive impact on the climate. 
to use the industry parlance, SKU level data or SKU level data, which is like you went to Pret, but what did you buy uh, at Pret? I can see that you spent three pounds ninety there because you're a cheap sausage, but um, that that you didn't. Uh, but what did you actually get? Was it a salad? Was it something else? And and what were the what were the items used at that store? So yeah, you're always sort of guessing to a certain degree, which I think makes life very very difficult. Uh, well, I, I think. Building on Scott's point, what can organizations do to uh, not just um, appear authentic, but authentically make a difference? Because I think authenticity is is so crucial to all of this, and uh, intent matters, but so does results. Yeah, it's, it, it's really difficult. To Scott's like every to Scott's point, everyone is on some kind of journey. You know, you've got the people that have been doing amazing things and living sustainably, and you know, doing everything they can, and then you've got other people that haven't even begun yet and haven't quite woken up to, not necessarily woken up, but haven't necessarily started that journey. In terms of businesses, it's actually really difficult to cut through what's greenwashing and what isn't. And that's, I think it's a huge barrier for, for consumers. I saw an advert the other day from a, I'm not, I won't name them, but I suddenly saw it and I was like, they're pushing sustainability as an agenda. But actually, if you look, look into the sort of background behind it, not really, you know, you wouldn't traditionally think of them as a green retailer. They aren't, um, but because of COP and because of the, um, you know all the consumer demand around it, it's really difficult. And I think that's one of the big challenges as a consumer. What do I think people can do better? Like there are really basic things that I would love to see. You know, you mentioned um, like calories earlier and cal- calorie counting. Like it would be great to have on every product you buy. This is the carbon footprint of it, whether it's clothes, whether it is food, and it would just make it you know simple traffic light system. This one's bad. This one's good. Getting that information is quite difficult and there would have to be a huge shift in how consumers and suppliers work. But like that would help educate people. And I think that's something that, that we all should be striving towards. Scott, you wanted to jump in? I, I just, yeah, I just wanted to pick up on, on one other point that you said, Simon, in terms of, you know, the pro- proliferation of fintech, et cetera, in the UK. I, I think a couple of things I'd say there. One, the world is a big place. You know, I mean, I, I lead our fintech practice in London. And many fintechs are in, in, in the UK, but particularly in London for good reasons. There's investment here. There's talent here. People want to live here. It's the regulatory environment is, despite what we've been saying this morning, is still relatively friendly, et cetera, et cetera. But they, most of those fintechs that I look after and I look after the likes of Revolut and Wise and, you know, they look at their marketplace as the world would be my first point. So there's still plenty of space to be successful. What we're also seeing in the UK and, and the businesses joining me here today are great examples of that. It is something we're not really seeing as a business too much anywhere else in the world yet, which is the rise of purpose led fintech and quite, and sometimes quite specific purpose led fintech. Here we're talking about sustainability, but it can be other things. It, um, uh, you know, different, different types of sustainable lending. Cards focused on particular, um, religions, et cetera. There's a, you know, so there's also, we've got some big across the board players and then we've got some people really focused on niches that could actually grow into really successful businesses. And, but all I was going to say is we see that trend here almost more than anywhere else with perhaps the notable exception of the likes of Stockholm, where there's, you know, there's been a huge amount of sustain and my colleagues here will know many of the businesses that have started in, in that part of the world. But just in general, there seems to be more fintechs for different purposes starting in Europe, particularly in London, than anywhere else in the world. 
And we as a company are really excited by that trend. What the, I often blog and write about is uh, people overlook the UK still because of post-Brexit. They're not seeing some of these smaller things happening that's really exciting. Um, I do think that purpose-led thing is definitely happening in the US as well. I mean, Aspiration Bank has been out there for some time, Tomorrow Bank in Germany. Um, we have seen these things start to pop up around the world, and long may that movement continue. And indeed, the, the rise of the digital community bank or neobank, the digital affinity sort of uh, experience where the purpose is at the front, the banking is at the back rather than the banking brand is at the front uh, is is a really, really uh, interesting shift that you point out, Scott. Uh, I do have to take a quick pause here so that we can hear from our sponsors and we'll be back very, very shortly. If you've been in payments for any length of time, you've seen the number of payment solutions explode. That's great for consumers, but incredibly complex for merchants and developers. That's where Primer comes in. Primer is the world's first automation platform for payments. With Primer, merchants and developers have all the underlying infrastructure and Lego blocks they need to build the best buying experiences for their customers. Learn more and book a demo at Primer.io. At SAS, they help their customers make banking simple, safe, and rewarding for everybody. They support banks in their goal to treat every customer as individual, combining data from across the bank with external information and real-time context. They deliver unique insights and a deep understanding of customers' needs. By applying these insights at the right time via the right channel, they help make every customer engagement with the bank a relevant, valuable, and seamless experience. SaaS enables banks to embed real-time intelligence in every interaction, helping them make smarter, faster decisions that transform customer experience. To find out more, search SaaS Banking. Okay, welcome back to the show. In the second half, we're going to look at the role of big tech and fintech. That What can they do to really make a mark on this space? So let's look at some future trends. Um, so Scott, talk a little bit about what technology can do um, and how organizations like MasterCard can help. I think the thing that MasterCard can do is that we are present in people's lives. Um, some people will smile when I say this almost constantly. So, you know, we, we are a business that's there around you a lot, particularly when you, you, you lead your lives and you, you interact every day. So we are a business that either directly, but mostly through our partners, um, you know, we're, we're quite present in people's lives. That allows us to engage and to potentially inform those consumers in a way that many other businesses are, are unable to do. So I think that's the role more than anything else that we are trying to play here. The second role we're trying to play is we are trying to be the best partners that we possibly can for innovative, sustainable businesses such as the ones that are on the call today. We take very seriously businesses that bring such purpose to everything they do and we try and match that purpose in our own way. So we always do it particularly well, but boy, are we trying every day to be better and to be the best partner we can and, and to be equally interested in, in, in small startups as we are in our, you know, most long standing and respected customers that we have as well. And that for me is the part that we can really play because by working with us, you know, it opens you up to three billion accounts. It opens you up to 70 million places to use our products. You know, this, this is the opportunities for businesses to work with us is huge, but we also want to respect those businesses, particularly those that are coming with genuine purpose in what they're doing 
and to meet them in the middle when we work with them as partners. Lee, uh, when you think about the role technology can play, uh, we've talked a little bit about open banking. Are there other areas or aspects that technology can play? I think a lot about the consumer design space, for instance, and many other bits and pieces that we can pick up from. Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned at the top of the call that we're working um, closely with MasterCard on a micropayment solution for the deposit return scheme in Scotland. Now, currently, the the, the solution is outdated. Um, Sorry, just going back, we still have a problem in this country with uh, with recycling rates. If I take single-use plastic, for example, it's it's still below 50%. Now, the deposit return scheme uh, is, an, is an idea or scheme that's coming in rather across the UK to incentivize people to make sure that their recycling goes back into the appropriate channel. Um, now, the current system, uh, like I said before, is outdated. At the minute, you place your containers into uh, a reverse vending machine and you get uh, essentially a paper coupon that you can then recoup your you know, money or whatever. And what, what ends up happening is you end up with a drawer full of paper coupons because you don't actually do anything. So it's a waste of paper that can't be recycled and this, you know, the money doesn't actually do any good for anyone. Um, so what we've done, we've developed a platform that um, that completely digitizes the process. So um, when someone places their container into into a smart bin, the we have uh, an app that scans the bottle in the first place. The technology from the app speaks to the bin technology, matches, verifies that there's been a genuine um, recycled container in, and then after a 72-hour turnaround period where we check for the likes of fraud. That um, small amount of money, which is paid in, in the first instance when someone buys the container, is deposited back into a digital wallet and people can use it. Um, just like They can use their debit MasterCard just like they would normally. Now, that's great. People will then you'll be able to use their recycling money for, um, for going out and buying sustainable goods, we hope. But even better, via the Priceless Planet Coalition, we're able to offer our users the option to, to invest that money back into charity and give something back. And obviously planting trees um, across the world is, is a great project, but I would love to go a step deeper and localize those, localize that charity and spend and put money back into possibly education systems for local schools um, so that we can bring the next generation through um, and, and get rid of what is a climate anxiety essentially across the, the younger generations. I think that's such a good point. That climate anxiety is real, and I think often not understood by older generations that never experience that climate anxiety. Um, and kind of, uh, as sort of the world looks broadly the same uh, if if you've uh, if you've kind of been living in the same space, doing the same things for the past 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but if you're growing up into this world, it, it, the perspective can be quite different. And I think that that experience, that lived experience, is is, is really powerful. I also love the point that um, there are incentives that are out there that are just not effective and technology can can really help us uh, with those. Um, and I think that's such an p- important and powerful point. Um, Will, do you think uh, FinTech's a better place to do this than big incumbents? I mean, there must have been a motivation for why you built Triad. Yeah, <clears throat> so we basically saw, saw this gap in the market, which was um, a, a, a sustainable version of a debit card, you know, and also making sure people knew what the impact they were having on the environment was. Like our fintechs, the solution, our incumbent solution, I think it's kind of a combination of the two. I think there are two factors to it. The earlier you are, the more you can test, the more you can try random things. What do customers like? What do customers not like? You rapidly learn. Some things are a complete waste of time. Other things like go down really, really well. What that means is that we can 
quickly build a product that people love, people use all the time, and we know what works. You know, we are growing rapidly, but do we have the reach of someone like HSBC? Not right now. Um, what the hopeful is that once we've kind of proven a model, it would be great if all the incumbents said, you know, actually, this is the way that we should be doing things. And they kind of take learnings from younger fintechs. And I think the kind of the two work hand in hand. One is sort of, we are sort of, I'm going to call it a luxurious position. I'm not quite sure it is. It's the nerve wracking position of we are kind of one of the first people um, to be doing this kind of thing. What works, what doesn't. And then it's sharing lessons across to get the reach that we need to. I think that's such an important point. I mean, uh, we saw with the gambling block, Scott, you were making this point earlier that um, fintech actors is an R&D sort of um, icebreaker almost um, uh, to to make things happen. And then the incumbents caught up uh, because their customers demanded it. And that customer demand is really key. But from an incumbent perspective, they've got to make business cases. They've got operating costs. They've got regulations around them. They've got challenges. So how do you make the case of moving this from nice to have to uh, kind of just this is this is absolutely critical and mission critical and should be the top of your agenda for an incumbent? I think there's there's two sides to that, Simon. I think side one, of course, is just the the amount of political and public policy and regulatory pressure on the incumbents to, in inverted commas, do the right thing. It, 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 it is something that has been building over the last few years. Again, we're talking here about payments, but there's obviously many other impacts that businesses like that that can have on society. But I think more importantly than that, perhaps in terms of where we're heading, is that those incumbents are waking up to the fact that this is an incredibly important issue for a large and growing majority of their customers. And that is always the best way to get a business case. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the success of new entrants into the marketplace, um, every piece of research would say that, you know, consumers are more and more engaged and more and more concerned about this. Um, that will build the, the, the best business case of all. And I think the other thing, actually, and the other thing that I've noticed is that, you know, any business is, 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 you know, based on, uh, on its people. And it's actually people in these organizations that are understanding how important this is, not only for their business, but for society and the world, et cetera. So, you know, that actually is also a factor that, that that's coming in, that the, the newer generations of, of people entering the financial services world are, are coming with a potentially a, 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 you know, new different values that they're trying to bring into these organizations as well. So I think it's those three factors that the regulation, of course, what consumers want and just the people in these businesses wanting, desperately wanting to do and have an impact here. So if your regulators demanding it, if your customers are demanding it, if your team demands it, then you'd be daft to say no. I also think there's a raw business case around if you want deposits, you're going to go where the customers go. If you want to lend to those customers, you've got to prove that you align with their values and beliefs. Uh, and the PR black eye that a number of organizations have received in the past uh, six to 12 months from simply not getting this right 
Um, and the, on the one hand, yes, there's the fear of greenwashing, but on the other hand, there's being on the wrong side of history, which is just a place nobody wants to be. And I think given that choice, I know which side I'd rather be on. I'd rather be accused of, of greenwashing. Um, so uh, going forward then, what comes next? What are the big trends? Um, I'm going to say, uh, Will, what do you uh, think we are going to see rather than rather than pure hopes? What's, what's going to come down the line at us? So I think there's basically two two parts to it. So there's one which is from a consumer education space. So that is your carbon footprinting. That is giving people the right options to, to kind of live slightly more sustainable or, or greener. The other side of it is from an investment point of view. So in my mind, there's two kind of ways that people invest. Um, it's either the big, big banks, they're investing in fossil fuels at the moment. I think we're going to see a transition away from that. I think there's 130 trillion um, dollars was committed to be investing into sustainable businesses by 2030 out of COP. Um, like that is a huge shift. And so I think that's one of the ones from an industry perspective. I also think from an individual perspective, people are starting to wake up to where is their money invested? Is it invested in ESG funds? Is it impact funds? And I think like that is going to be a huge trend as well. You know, we've seen huge amounts of money inflow into um, those kind of funds. And I think that's going to continue. And like we were talking about incumbents a second ago, like there are all of these people trying to sort of not necessarily fight for the same space, but consumers are becoming more eco-conscious. If incumbents don't change quick enough, you know, that's where the new players, we saw it with the neobanks, that's where the new players will come in and like, it'll, they'll play, end up playing catch up. Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, that's, the, that's our downside risk, which is not a bad place to be. Lee? Yeah, just to touch on the, the, the more eco-conscious consumer, you're absolutely right there, Will. And um, I think because of that, because of the need, the, the demand, there will be an increase, increasing level of transparency that we'll need. Um, and, you know, the sustainable indexes out there will become um, better equipped to provide us with the information um, that, that is, is so desperately needed. Uh, and, and yeah, again, agreeing with Will completely there, sustainable investing, I think, is only going to accelerate. And that's from, you know, based around regulation and the, the way that investors, um, you know, we're, see, we're speaking to VCs at the minute and we're seeing that um, consistently that the new funds are being created um, purely in the sustainable space. And that's because of, um, you know, the morals and ethics of these VCs, but also because, you know, from a regulatory standpoint as well, it's, it, it, it's, it's better for them and for, for, for everyone. If if twenty four percent of global GDP, according to one study I said, is is in financial services, uh, if you move money, you move the world. Uh, everything takes a transaction. So um, understanding financial services is understanding the tipping point in the system. Uh, Scott, uh, final thoughts. What are we definitely going to see in the next twelve months? Do you think? I think I, I hope the first thing I see is businesses such as the ones joining us today continue to go from strength to strength um, as as partners of of Mastercard. I, I think. In an exciting way, the marketplace will get busier. I think there will become increasing pressure on incumbents and businesses such as mine to play their part, both in their own way, but also in partnership with 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 many of their customers. And I, you know, I'm I'm. It's interesting. When I was at COP26, I was excited by how much passion there was from a ground up perspective. Um, I think, you know, obviously that I'm just like the incumbents are reacting to that. I hope other bits of society do as well, right, over the next 12 months and, and 24 months. But I think um, the future is bright and purely just from a, a very basic business sense. 
what I see, particularly in the growth in, in fintech and these types of purpose businesses in London is something that I'm really excited. You made a point earlier, Simon, regarding, you know, whether London is still the place to be to some extent with Brexit and all of those other things. But I remain even more excited than I was before about the, the just the amount of exciting business and exciting entrepreneurs and founders I see. So I, I hope that that's just going to keep accelerating. The USP for me, as I look globally of London right now, is creativity. Um, and the, on the entrepreneurial side, a funding environment isn't like the US, um, but our creativity is is really exceptional. And I think we've got two great examples of that here. And if you are curious and you're listening and you want to learn more about some of these companies, uh, where can people find out more about you and Tread? Uh, Will? Yeah, cool. So Tread basically finds us on the internet. So it's www.tread.earth, and that's T R Y D. T-R-E-D. T-R-E-D. There you go. See, yeah. spelling matters in this day and age. No, everybody likes it. Honestly, it does, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lee, how about you? Yeah, it's same internet, uh, www.helpful.world. Helpful.world. I love that as a top-level domain name. .world, yes. We need more of those. Uh, how about you, Scott? I think you know where MasterCard is. <laughs> <laughs> it's MasterCard. Been... Yeah, yeah. It's MasterCard.com. And uh, yeah, there's there's lots going on. I would also... Uh, encourage people to go to pricethisplanet.com as well, which is our um, tree planting initiative. And there's many opportunities for businesses and consumers to get involved in that as well. Mm-hmm. All righty. That's awesome. As for me, you can find me at SY Taylor on Twitter or uh, 11fs.com. And as for you, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us so, so much. If you like the show, tell us why. If you didn't like the show, tell us why. We want that feedback. And as always, you can email us directly, podcasts at 11fs.com. All righty. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye for now. <laughs>